All right. Well, to uh, pick back up where we were last time we were together, we had been talking about the um, general topic of classes of data in an ERP system. We talked about that and an overview of organizational data really is, is where we have been. We talked about uh, the organizational structure as we observed it in the context of our labs. We uh, talked a little bit at one point in our discussion about how this would relate back to your experiences with ERP SIM. And then most notably last time we were together we started talking about some of the key organizational elements that we will be working with for the duration of this semester. Many of these you have already seen in your lab work, some of them are yet to come, but they are key elements in our understanding the SAP configuration process. And so we have the client that sits at the top of the organizational hierarchy. We have company codes that are uh, contained within the client and are most important to us, although they have many elements of importance. But as I mentioned last time, a key thing to keep in mind as a focal element of a company code is that it is the organizational entity around which financial accounting is focused. And even some of our pre-class quiz questions uh, related to that topic. We talked about the key organizational elements in the sales process, uh, the sales organization, the distribution channel, the division, and how those three entities when combined together are, uh, we use the term sales area to describe that. In logistics, we were talking about uh, plant and storage location as being uh, two of the key elements there. Very, very important in the context of logistics because logistics focuses on the process of taking materials and putting them in the hands of customers. And so one of the things that we have to designate for each of the items that we sell is what plant or plants is the source of supply in fulfilling a particular customer order. And you're going to see that, I think, it's probably in phase three of your lab exercises where you're you're going through and ultimately creating a sales order uh, for a particular customer. This diagram right here, I thought uh, this is the first new thing we will look at today. And um, this represents the situation that we see in our lab work. All of you this semester, when we log into uh, the lab, we are logging into a client, I believe it's 303 which is essentially a GBI enterprise. And within that particular enterprise, there are actually two company codes that pre-exist, US00 and DE00. US00 based on the US economy and DE00 based on the German economy. And then you are coming in and creating your company codes. I think we use the U.S. designation with them as well, and so uh, you might be U.S. 02 or U.S. 17 or whatever have you, and so you could imagine that at this point for every student in this class, 
plus these two default ones, we have that many company codes that are active in our system. And you either have created or soon will create your different plans. And you will do just like is illustrated here for US company code double zero, you'll create a Dallas plant, a San Diego plant, and a Miami plant. And in fact, what's not shown in this diagram is the storage location situation. And so for example, in your Dallas plant, you might have a finished goods storage location and a trading goods storage location and a raw material storage location that would be individual entities that exist for the storing of merchandise in these particular facilities. And so this, of course, does not show all of the different organizational entities that we have talked about to this point, but for the sake of the logistics portion of our organization, this is the structure that we see with the plants and, and storage locations. Any questions about any of this that we've done by way of review? All right, so first new thing is now key organizational elements in the context of procurement. And what we are going to talk about on this slide is not necessarily um, complicated, but it can be somewhat tricky when it comes to understanding the distinctions and being able to answer questions about this. So I want to make sure that we have a good understanding of this before we uh, forge ahead. We have within our organization one or more purchasing organizations. And a purchasing organization is the part of the organization that is responsible for procuring materials and services. And the most important word in that definition is this word responsible. So they have, in a strategic sense, a very important responsibility, which is making sure that our company can procure materials and services in an effective fashion to accomplish our overall corporate strategy. So the key thing that a purchasing organization will do is negotiate purchases, they will set pricing conditions, which basically means they will go to suppliers or potential suppliers and attempt to negotiate with them a plan for your company to purchase materials from them. So let's say, for example, that there's a particular material that we normally buy that we purchase by the pound. And the standard rate for this product is a dollar and five cents a pound. Well, the purchasing organization might go to this company and say, if we agree to buy at least a million pounds from you this year, will you lower the price to a dollar even? And so there'll be some back and forth. This will be perhaps an extended negotiation where we're trying to come to some kind of agreement on, on how this will work. So the people that work within the purchasing organization, they have a very big picture strategic overview. The purchasing organization is not going to get involved in the purchase of everything that we buy as a company. But what they're going to be looking at 
is those materials that have strategic importance to us. Those things that we purchase a lot of or those things that are particularly key to the success of our organization. And so they are going to be looking to go out and create contracts with our vendors related to these things. Now, purchasing organizations are really kind of an interesting organizational entity, and it's the first organizational uh, entity that we have seen that has this characteristic. A purchasing organization can be assigned to a client, it can be assigned to a company code, it can be assigned to a plant, or it can be assigned to a combination of these things. So let, let me just read that again, and then we'll go back and look at that in the context of the picture that, that we just were looking at a moment ago. So a purchasing organization can be assigned to a client, a company code, a plant, or a combination of these. So I'll come back to this slide, but let me back up here. So if it's assigned to a client, if I were to draw a circle around, therefore, everything that would be within their scope of strategic purchasing, it would be everything. You know, this would represent the idea of a purchasing organization being assigned to a client because the client contains everything. If the purchasing organization were assigned to a given company code, let's say, for example, the German company code, then that means that they would be able to represent and engage in strategic buying on behalf of what I've circled here with this second smaller circle. And I'll change ink colors here for, for clarity. Or the purchasing organization can be assigned to a single plant, which would be what I'm illustrating here by maybe the Miami plant has its own purchasing organization. Now, why might I adopt there, a variant a variant strategy here. What's the idea behind why I might find it useful to have the ability to to put this together as you see here? What do you think? Anyone have any ideas? <coughs> Let's look at this not in the context of of GBI but let's go back to our past shared experience with ERP SIM, okay? So these company codes are now all the different Muesli companies that you operated in the past. And as you know, in your manufacturing process, there were a lot of raw materials that you used. And one raw material that you used in particular, I'll just pick is, is oats, okay? Now, if the Miami plant goes to a supplier and says, we would like to arrange to buy oats from you, can you give us a really good price? Well, the supplier might say, sure, based on how much you buy from us and so on, we can give you the price of, we'll say, $2.50 a kilogram. And we say, okay, thank you, um, that sounds okay. but Another scenario is maybe there's a now another company code that has seven plants. So by implication, we would expect that they would be buying a whole lot more oats. 
So they might go to the oats supplier and negotiate an arrangement, and their price is now going to be uh, $2.45. Or we could all get together as one big entity and go to the oat supplier and say, all of us together would like for you to be our prime vendor for oats. Can you give us a really good deal? And at that point, the vendor might say, okay, $2.40 a kilogram. So what's happening here is that by putting more of my organizational pieces together, and us all working together strategically, it positions us to be able to drive a better bargain. Now, it might well be that some of the things that the Miami plant buys are unique to the Miami plant. Therefore, none of the other parts of our organization would care about forging any kind of strategic alliance with us. So that's why these purchasing organizations, they can either be just focused on a particular plant, or they could be focused on a company code, or they could be assigned to the client, which essentially means they represent our organization at the largest uh, possible way of combining all the pieces together. But going back to a, a point that I underlined here a moment ago, the purchasing organization is all about responsibility. The purchasing organization does not buy anything. The purchasing group are the people in our organization that actually buy things. So you can imagine the purchasing organization might involve some lawyers. And they go and they meet with a supplier and they hammer out basically a contract with a supplier. And they work out a deal where the deal is, okay, if we buy at least a million pounds of this item, we pay a dollar per pound. So they do that. And then they move along to their next, you know, strategic partnership. And they're looking for these opportunities. They're looking for ways to save the company money. But they don't actually get their hands dirty with the actual buying. That is done by the purchasing group. Now, the purchasing group could actually just be one person in a given uh, part of an organization. Or it could be a team of people. We could have a, a purchasing department. What is unique about the purchasing group is the purchasing group is not directly associated with an organizational entity. A purchasing group is not assigned to a vendor, or not a vendor, it's not assigned to a company code. A purchasing group is not assigned to a client. A purchasing group is not assigned to a plant. What is a purchasing group assigned to? And here's where um, I think you all should have seen this in your lab work. I'll show it to you here in a moment by way of reminding you of this. But purchasing groups are assigned to materials. So the purchasing organization, which handles the strategic purchasing, they're assigned based on the terms of what we talked about a moment ago. But the purchasing group is assigned on a per material basis. So uh, let's look at that for a second. And let me take us over to our uh, GBI client here. And we're going to just look at something real quick. Logistics, materials management, uh, material master, material, display, display current. And um, I am running, um, I think, 02. 
So I'm going to pull up the uh, elbow pad for my company, which should look very similar to the elbow pad for your company. And when I pull this up, and notice one of my views here, we'll come back to that in a moment, is the purchasing view. And so uh, we'll assume that's a correct combination there. And I will go to the purchasing view. And notice right here on the material master purchasing group. So every material that I buy in my organization will have a purchasing group assigned to it. And it is their responsibility to actually buy that material. So what happens is, and we'll get into the details a little bit later of, of how this would actually play out. But if we go back to my, my uh, example a moment ago, if we have negotiated, if our purchasing organization has negotiated that if we buy one million pounds, we get a better price, then when a purchasing group goes in for any of our plants or any of our entities, if they go in and buy 50,000 pounds, the term that we use to describe that is they have now called off 50,000 pounds against that contract. And the expectation would be that over a year, we would have called off all one million pounds of that. And in fact, it might well be that our purchasing organization might have negotiated the contract such that, all right, we agree to buy a million pounds, and if we do that, it's gonna be a dollar a pound, but if it turns out that over the course of the year, we actually buy 1.5 million pounds, then you're going to agree to drop the price to 95 cents a pound and, and rebate back to us that nickel for the million pounds that we already bought and give us that moving forward. I mean, there's all kinds of different ways the purchasing organization could structure that agreement. But the key is we are going to have to have a mechanism to make sure we're fulfilling that contract and see where we stand in, in re relation to having it fulfilled and all. And so we'll have to look at the configuration part of this a little bit later in, in our discussion. So these are two of the key organizational elements in the procurement process, the purchasing organization, purchasing group. And you can bet if we have a quiz next time, there's going to be a question about the distinction between who has the responsibility on a strategic level and then who actually does the buying itself. And some of the key facets here about the purchasing group not being assigned to a company code or a plant, there's a whole bunch of very important characteristics that are described in this particular slide. Any questions about this? Yes, sir. Called off is simply, if I agree that I'm going to buy a million pounds over the course of a year, that doesn't mean that next Tuesday I'm going to buy a million pounds. That might mean one week I buy 10,000 pounds, next week I buy 5,000 pounds. But the idea is, over the course of the year, that's going to be expected to add up to a million. So every time I place an order that fulfills a portion of that, I'm calling off a future responsibility. I'm kind of chipping away at the amount that I still have let to buy, left to buy. Okay. Other questions? All right, so more questions. True or false, master data is created at the client level. Let me say true. 
How many say false? Okay, well, the trues, in fact, are right. Master data created at the client level, very good. It is possible for some configuration information to span across multiple clients. Is that true or false? That is true. It is the key phrase there is it is possible. Not saying it's commonly done, but it is possible for us to, to see that in a particular organization's configuration. The next question is a good example of a question that when it shows up on the midterm exam, I'll be very disappointed if anybody misses this question. Financial accounting focuses on which organizational entity? Client, company code, plant, business area, or general ledger? That's a company code. Financial accounting focuses on the company code. And so uh, that's something that we're going to beat into your head a lot this semester. A purchasing group is responsible for actually executing the purchasing process and buying things. Well, you might have to look back in your notes at this point, but hopefully after studying this, you'll be able to answer off the top of your head that that's true. The purchasing group, those are the people that actually go out and do the buying of things, uh, not necessarily or not the group that goes out and, and executes the purchase. All right, and so that kind of wraps up, whoops, our discussion of organizational data kind of on a high level and some of this we'll come back to as we dig into more detail on various processes. Any questions about this before we forge ahead? All right, now, master data. Some of the characteristics of master data and some of this will be a bit of a review, but there's some there's some real complexity in what we are about to look at and also I think some very interesting things from a, uh, a design point of view if we want to use that term. We have observed previously that master data is created at the client level. Uh, another way we could say that is master data is something that is created centrally and therefore it has the ability to be shared among a wide variety of applications and processes. And, and we'll come back to this in a second, but I, I want to go back to a picture here to, uh, to uh, better illustrate this and so that you have this in your mind. So what we're saying is kind of like this, this big red circle that I drew here, but I'll come back and I'm going to change it to a big purple circle. Okay, everything that's within this circle right here is everything that is contained within my client. Well, because master data is created at the client level, that means that it exists in a context where it can possibly be seen by every company code, by every plant, by every storage location. Because it is created at that kind of universal level, it has visibility everywhere. And so that is a very key characteristic of, of master data. But it also now is going to introduce some complexity that we're going to have to understand as far as how this is, is actually managed. So an example, and I think I even gave this example before, if we create a customer in our system, a customer is master data. So their account 
is universal. Their account can be seen by every entity in our system. But yet, we still need some kind of mechanism whereby each company code can have its own relationship with the customer. So if you will, if, if this cube right here represents a customer, well, that customer will only be created one time in our system. But if I have company code one and company code two and company code three, all of them need a way of managing their relationship with this customer because they're all going to need to keep their billing records separate, their order records separate, and, and so on and so forth. And so, how does the system manage that? A key to that is this concept of a view. And you have all worked with this in the context of your labs to this point, but probably not truly understood what's actually going on here. A view is something that is assigned to an organizational element. Okay? And I'm going to use as an example of what I'm talking about here to start with that really old joke. Have you heard the old joke? It's not particularly a funny joke, but I want to say it's something like five blind people are walking down the road and an elephant walks out into their pathway and they're all trying to figure out what it is and they all grab different parts of the element. Elephant and one says it's a tree and the other one says no, it's a trumpet and they all come up with a different answer. Well, that's kind of the idea of a view. Let me give you another kind of metaphor to describe it. Here, let me stick with my cube example here. And let's assume that this really is a real cube. And let's assume that here in the classroom, right in the center of the room, I put like a giant six foot by six foot tall Rubik's cube. And we all stood in different places in the room. Some of you might say that cube is red because the side that faces you is red. And someone else might see that cube and say that cube is yellow because the side that's facing you is yellow. Now there's one cube, but it looks different depending upon what your perspective is from looking at it. Okay, do you understand the metaphor here now? That's what we're saying is going to go on here. We have one customer record, but if we look at it from company code one's perspective, we're going to see one set of information. If we look at it from company code three's perspective, we're going to see it in a different way. And so depending upon what organizational element is being used to work with or to view or to access this information, it's going to see slightly different information. Now it's still one record, but what an individual entity sees in that record is managed through this idea of, of a view. The mapping determines which aspect of master data is used in a process. And so not only is this influenced by the organizational entity, but it is also influenced by the process. 
And so I'm, it's going to take us a while to understand this, so, so don't worry about it at this point if this is a, a little bit confusing for you. But let me continue on here. So what we're saying is any data that is at the client level is shared amongst all company codes. So if I go back to my cube example, Maybe if our cube is actually not six feet tall to take into account those of us that are shorter, um, maybe the cube is four and a half feet tall. And so we can all see the top of the cube, but then as we look at the face of the cube that's our direction, we all see different colors. We all agree that the top of the cube is blue because we can all see the top of the cube. But then when we look at the rest of the cube, some of us think it's red, some of us think it's yellow, and so on. Well, the fact that we all agree that the top is blue because we can all see that is equivalent to this data that is at the client level. These are the things that regardless of what company code we are looking at it from, we all see the exact same information. In the context of a material, which we're going to talk about here in a few moments in more detail, that would be things like the name of the material. So an EPAD 1020, we all agree is an elbow pad because the name of the material is something that is universal across all our company codes. Financial accounting data is company code specific, which means that if we go back to our customer example here, when company code one looks at this customer, it sees the information in regards to its financial accounting relationship with that customer meaning it sees things like how much the customer owes them, um, their payment history over time, how much is still outstanding, those kinds of things. Whereas when company code three looks at that customer, we agree it's the same customer. Both of us see it being Acme widgets, but when company code three looks at the accounting information, they're going to see different information from company code one because financial accounting happens at the company code level. Sales data is specific to a sales area. So here, company code one has three different sales area. Sales area one, sales area two, sales area three. So depending upon which of them is looking at this, they're going to see different things. I don't want to get ahead of myself. I'm going to show you several examples of this as we continue on. But this is the end of this particular slide. So I want to pause here for a moment and see. Uh, it, I'm sure this is still fuzzy for many of you, if not all of you at this point. But are there any big questions that you have before we forge ahead? I will say that what we are talking about right now is really important because this is how role management is handled within the system. This is how information fundamentally is handled in the system. And this is also a key element in the security model of the system. 
what I'm saying is if I work in sales area one and I want to look at my sales area sales information with this customer I can do that but I can't see the other sales areas because their records are different than mine now we're still looking at the same customer but we're looking at it from a different perspective and so that's going to change the information that we actually see within the system and what I'm telling you is all of this is managed by this concept of views so we need to dig into that more and understand it better and the way we're going to do that is by talking about the material master because as you've already answered questions about for your homework you know that the material master is important because ERP systems focus on materials management and logistical elements related to materials and so on the material master is segmented into 12 different views we will not make you memorize the list of 12 views or memorize what is contained in each of the 12 different views but there will be an element of this as we as we go along where it will be somewhat logical for you to understand how certain parts of this work the basic data of a material are those things that are universal and are shared client-wide and these are going to be things like the material number, the material name, and other important facts that we'll look at in a material record in a moment. The other views will contain data that will vary depending upon the different organizational entities. So what are the 12 views? These are the 12 different views. A material master contains basic data. It contains MRP data. It contains plant data. Contains financial accounting data. Storage data. Warehouse management data. Purchasing data. Sales data. Work scheduling data. Quality management data. Forecasting data. And classification data not important that you memorize that list of 12 things at all I will tell you though and and what you see right here at the top this basic data is data that is shared client-wide okay now I'm gonna go back into the ERP system and and have us look at this and my hope is that you're gonna actually start seeing something now that perhaps you you've never noticed before okay I'm right here on display material initial screen Look at this right here at the top, these buttons. Select views. So right away, if I click on this, there's the different views we were just talking about. Okay. Now, on the slide, I put MRP data. You'll notice that there actually is MRP 1, 2, 3, and 4. That's because some of these views have so much information it can't all fit on one screen. So if we get rid of the fact that there's basic data one and basic data two, which is just basic data spread out across all 12 screens, there are 12 different views illustrated in this list right here. So when I say I want to look at this material, I pick which of those views I actually want to look at. All right, I'm going to close this because I'm not ready to do anything with this yet. I also can specify, okay, 
what organization is looking at this material. And in this case, I can put down a plant, I can put down a sales organization, I can put down a distribution channel, and that's defining basically the perspective that I'm going to be looking at this material from. All right, now I'm going to leave all of the, basically the defaults in place. And so I have just opened up this material, this EPAD 1002, the elbow pad. And what I'm telling you is everything here that's on this basic data screen would be what I would see regardless of what perspective I'm looking at this material for. We would all see that this is an elbow pad. We would see that as far as the material group that it's in, it's in the, the safety gear material group. We would see that the division that's responsible for this particular material is the accessories division. We would see that its gross weight is 32 ounces. If we go over here to basic data two, there's really nothing here. Um, and not all of the basic data has been filled in because some of it's just optional based on what we elect to do in our organization. But this is going to be universal. Now, if I go over here to the sales organization tab, this is now defining the delivery plant. You notice here the delivery plant when I sell this item is zero to Miami. And there's other things here related to taxes that are specified and all kinds of other things here. So what I'm telling you is this. This information is based on the fact that when I came into this, I said, that I want to view this based on sales organization 02 US East. And if I had put down a different sales organization, I might see different data here. Even though it's the same material, depending upon the organizational entity that's viewing this, what we're going to see is going to be different. Now watch this. I'm going to go back here and for select view, I'm going to pick every view there actually is. And then I'm going to hit the check mark. And now notice all of the things it asks me. Okay, what plant, what storage location, what valuation type, which of these things, you've got you've to tell me what perspective you're looking at this material because I picked all of those views. Well, I'm going to X this out. And I'm going to come back here now and say, the only view that I want to see is the basic data view. Okay, now when I hit enter and ask to see the material, what organizational entity is it going to ask me about? And it won't ask me about the client because I'm logged into the client. Notice that it didn't even ask me because it's universal doesn't matter what company code, I'm going to see the same basic data regardless. If I come back here and say, okay, I want to see the purchasing view. So I want to see basic data and I'm going to get rid of, well, let's do this one first. I'm going to turn off purchasing. I'm going to look at basic data and accounting. What organizational entity is it going to ask me that I'm looking at this from? company code. Yay! And it actually asked me for plant for reasons that we'll talk about later, but I like your answer. It was a good one, okay? Um, let's go back here. Um, I want 
And let's try that one again because I want to make sure that it, it did that right. So accounting one and uh, default setting and yeah, it's, it's, it's because of certain things we'll talk about later. It wants to know about that from the company code level. But I, your answer is not a bad one. So, all right, so now let's look at this. Uh, if I say I want basic data and uh, I want to look at the sales organization data. Notice now it's going to ask me for the sales organization and the distribution channel. So in your labs, all throughout this year, you're going to wind up, as you work with materials, coming in here and being told by the lab to pick different views. And then once you do that, you're also going to be asked to define different organizational levels. Now, let me explain something that's going to happen in your labs. The first time you create a material, which I'll represent by this big square here, and there are, how many different views did we say there were? Twelve, okay. So imagine that each of these rows represents one of the views, okay. And let's assume that this one right here, that I'm going to put an FI next to, that's the financial accounting record, or the financial accounting view, excuse me. And let's assume that this material right here is a hypothetical one that I'm just going to call M1. So what this means is that if there are 30 different company codes in the system, we could have in the financial accounting view, we could potentially have 30 different data segments. And if you're looking at this from company code 17, that right there is the piece that you're going to see. Now, all the data is stored in this one master record, but you're only going to see the part of this that pertains to you. The basic data, all the stuff that we would think of here at the top, everybody's going to be able to see. Now, you're going to create materials in your lab work. You've already done this by copying materials from a reference company. It's a very common thing to do, even in a real-world SAP instance. That saves you a lot of typing and potential mistyping and so on. But the first time you create a material, you create it in the context of, I think, I think you guys Phase one is financial accounting. Phase two is procurement, I think. So you're going to come in, and for certain materials, you're going to populate the views that relate to your buying it. And then in a later lab, you're going to sell certain things, and you're going to come back and populate the views associated with selling. So this material record will be built up over time as we engage in various activities. But what we see is very much going to be based on our perspective from looking at this. Now, this elbow pad right here, I made that because I am company code 02. Watch what happens if I do this. Select view. And I want to look at the plant stock view. Now, I know, I know I'm asking a lot of you, but what do you think the plant stock view contains? We haven't talked about it yet, 
but what does your logical mind tell you that that view probably contains? Inventory levels about what? A specific plant for this material, right? Okay, that's what the plant stock view does. So watch this. I say, okay, this is what I want to see, and look what it asks me. It asks me the plant, just what we'd expect. And so notice it's defaulted to my Miami plant. I hit a check mark here, and I can see that I have a grand total of, oh, this is basic data. I was wondering why can't I see it here. I got to switch tabs here to the plant stock. I have, and hopefully you can see, I realize the screen makes a kind of stall. I have 30 of these in unrestricted inventory right now, which means I've got 30 elbow pads sitting in this plant that, that I can sell to somebody. And even notice right here, it tells me this is the DC02 Miami plant, okay? I'm gonna do this now. If I click the organizational levels, it's a shortcut to let me change to a different plant. And so I'm going to change to my, um, well, notice this. It's kind of already prompting me to the fact that this, that this is only something that for me, I have in the Miami plant. But watch this, suppose I say, what about this material in the Heidelberg plant? Nothing, okay? Because that's not something that the Heidelberg plant even deals with. So depending upon which plant I put in here, I see different inventory levels. Now, I think that's really logical. But the key to how this actually works under the hood is all based on this concept of, of these views, where depending upon what part of the material master I specify, I have to specify, okay, what organizational entity do you want to see it from? And then I'm going to see that information. So purchasing data. I might have to supply organizational data related to purchasing. You know, let's look at that. Let's go back to the ERP system here, and, and we'll have to flesh this out a little bit later as we continue, because there's more detail here, but hopefully you're getting the big concept. If I said the view I want to look at is the purchasing view, notice now it asks me the plant, but it also asks me this thing about valuation type. Okay, if I say I want to see the view related to MRP, I'll pick these MRP views, and now it wants to know the plant and the storage location. So depending upon which view or views I ask for, I'm going to have to fill in the organizational entity for it to give me the answer that, that would be relevant there. Questions? Now, am I saying that every material will have all 12 of these views? Absolutely not. I'm saying that it can only have these 12, but in fact it might only have six of these 12 or two of these 12, depending upon, depending upon what? Well, depending upon what we're going to learn about on our next slide here, material types. Material types classify materials based on company usage and they determine which views are populated. 
So you had a homework question. I don't think it was on this set of homework. It was on the previous set of homework that asked you about material types and material groups, and almost all of you gave a perfectly fine answer to that. But I don't know that you really, really understood what it was that, that you were writing down in, in your correct answer. Maybe, maybe you did. But the key element here is a material type lets us say, OK, this material right here is this kind of material. And based on that type classification, we can tell which views are going to be populated. And it's going to be really, really simple for us to determine this as, as we progress in our understanding here. So what the material type is going to determine is the views that appear in the material master record. So as soon as we say this material is this type, we will know what views are going to be present because that is dictated by the material type. Material types also uh, determine what material number is assigned. It determines what procurement types are allowed. And it determines how general ledger accounts are updated. So this whole thing of material types is, is really, really important. We'll get more specific about this as we go along. But let me just give you one example related to this last thing here. One kind of material that a company might have, let's say they're a manufacturing facility, would be oil. And the oil we're talking about might be like spray cans of like WD-40. And they buy that to spray down their equipment with periodically so it keeps running. Well, we don't sell that. We buy it, but we don't sell it. And all we ever do with it is periodically break out a can and spray it all over the place. And then when the can's empty, we throw it away and grab a new can. From our perspective as an organization, from a financial accounting perspective, these cans of oil, this is just totally an expense item. Because we're going to buy it, we're going to use it up, and we're going to eventually, it's just going to get consumed inside of our organization. That's a material. The type, we'll get to in a moment, but the type that we say that material is, is what helps us in financial accounting understand that this is something that's going to be totally expensed. Another type of material that we might have in our organization might be, Oh, let's say, I don't know what we make in our company. Let's say we make forklifts, okay? So one of our materials might be a forklift. Now, is a forklift, if we're, if we're a forklift manufacturing company, is that just something we buy and use up and then throw away? No. These forklifts that we create, we're going to put them in inventory, and eventually we're going to sell them. These forklifts are absolutely an asset. And so we're going to give it a material type that would designate it as being an asset, which means that anytime we do anything with this material, our financial accounting process is going to know to treat this as an asset. And anytime we do anything with this up here, with this oil, our financial accounting process is going to know to treat it as an expense. And all of that is based on the material type that we set. 
So we'll keep going here and we'll continue this picture. But we have material types. The other thing that we have are material groups. A lot of you gave me an answer for your homework that I could not dispute as being inherently wrong, but it also wasn't really right either. Let's understand something about material groups. Material groups can be any old thing I want them to be. A material group is just a collection of materials. I can create a material group called things that start with the letter T. And I can put tacks and trucks and any other material that starts with the letter T, I could put it in that material group. Now, is that a useful material group? No. Does it have any kind of meaning? No. Does any of it have any influence on any of these things up here, like the views, a material number, anything else? No. A material group is just something that I create and put stuff in to make it easy to plan. All of you have seen material groups before. You did not realize it, though, I'm going to guess. When you ran MRP in ERP SIM, all right, remember the screen, you ran the little transaction, and a screen popped up, and you were given a radio button with a set of three boxes here. And I want to say that this one right here was material, and this one right here was material group, and I don't remember what this one was, something else. And your job aid said, click on material group, and then type in your company letter twice, dash F. And when you did that, and hit enter, you were taken to the next screen, which had your company's six finished goods there. How did it know? to give you those six things, they were all put in this material group. And they were put in that material group by the designers of the simulation just so you wouldn't have to enter this transaction six different times and do each material separately. You're going to have a lab, I don't think any of you have gotten to it yet, some of you are farther ahead than others, where you're going to create a material group. And it literally is just a matter of you create a hierarchical structure where you can say, okay, here's a group, and in that group, I'm going to put two other groups, and in this group, I'm going to have these items, in this group, I'm going to have these items, and you can kind of create this structure, but it's totally arbitrary. You can put things in whatever group you want to. So some of you said things like material groups are things that are produced in the same way, or material groups are whatever. Well, the fact is material groups are groups that we put together based on anything that makes sense in our organization. They're rather arbitrary. Material types are not in any way arbitrary. There's a whole lot of rules and implications that go with material types. Material groups just help make our life easier. Once again, two terms that are really similar, therefore, you know, make really good tests or quiz questions. True or false, material groups determine the views that appear in a material master record. Nope, 
That's material types, not material groups. And so you've got to come up with some way in your studying to uh, keep those things separate. I think I mentioned this before. Some semester students have done flashcards or things like that. I'll try and give you lots of quiz questions and so on. But there's an element of this, at least until you really start to understand it, where there's going to be some kind of memorization involved. This is the structure that I believe you will later create in your lab work, where you'll go in and you'll create a group called bicycles and a group called accessories. And then in the bicycle group, you'll call, create a group called touring bicycles and a group called off-road bicycles. And then you'll put, then you'll create a group called deluxe touring bike and you'll put all the things in that group that go into making a deluxe touring bike. And then you'll create something here called a professional touring bike, and you'll put all the things that go into making that item. So this obviously is a hierarchical structure that makes sense in the context of our organization. But this is going to look very, very different even for two companies in the same industry. It's all just based on what will help them keep track of things. By the way, could a given material show up in more than one material group? This diagram should answer that question for you quite clearly. Could there be a material that would go into making a deluxe touring bike that's also used in making a professional touring bike? Absolutely. So a given material could show up in multiple different groups here. It's all just based on what we need to have happen in our organization. I'm throwing a lot at you guys. Questions? Please ask them. Do you have any? In 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 this picture, which is based on your lab work, the authors have gone out of their way to try and create the least confusing structure they possibly can. So in this diagram, everything that's illustrated here is unique. But let me give you an example here. Maybe every time we make a deluxe touring bike, there's a warranty document in it. And that is warranty document 1000. Well, every bicycle we sell has a warranty document in it. So we would see warranty 1000 show up as a part of every one of those. Not part of what's shown on the slide, but uh, very much could be and is reasonable for us to do. Other questions? What is this showing? Is this showing material type, material group? Group, okay? Now, this is a silly, silly example. So if it helps you, great. If it doesn't, you can forget it. This group kind of looks like a tree. Gorillas like to climb trees. Gorilla starts with G, group starts with G, okay? If you could imagine a tree and a gorilla climbing it, then that will be one way that you can help remember 
the difference here between a group and a type. Groups give us the tree structure like this because it's just stuff we put into groups. So here's the little, you know, there's the gorilla, you know, roar or whatever gorillas say, I don't know, that's climbing the tree here of, of materials. That was for free. That's not part of like the official SAP definition of a group. So. Um, Hopefully it helps. I try and come up with stupid stuff like that. It helps me. I don't know if it helps you or not. Yes, sir. This is a group, okay? So it, how I choose to do that is up to me. So I could have a group called red touring bikes, blue touring bikes, green touring bikes, or I could have a group called touring bikes that has all the different colors in it. Totally up to me. Okay. All right, now, material types are the more interesting of these two because material groups are just arbitrary. Material types, and this was something you wrote down in your answers, and hopefully, so you might remember writing this down or typing this down. Material types classify materials based on company usage. What does that mean? Well, we have to understand the same material can be used differently by different organizational levels and different companies. So what's one thing to one company could be used in a different way by another company. And I'll, I'll give you a specifics to go with that example here in just a moment. But what I'm saying is that in a different company code, it could be material type HALB, H-A-L-B, in one, and it could be FERT, F-E-R-T, in another. Now, Halb and Fert, those are not commonly used English words. What's going on here? Those are material type codes. Over the course of this semester, I will certainly not expect you to memorize all the different codes. You know, for example, when we start talking about material movements, there are hundreds of codes. You don't have to memorize those, okay? But there are some codes like Halb and Fert that people that work with ERP systems, they know what those are. And so we'll learn Halb and Fert, just so if that comes up in the future in a conversation with someone, you'll know what it is that we're talking about. And you'll see this on slides to come, but Halb is a semi-finished good. I remember semi-finished because to me this looks like the word half, halb, semi-finished, half-finished. Halb is a semi-finished good. Fert is a finished good. So come up with your own example related to that one, okay? Um, the same material could be different in different plants. Um, one plant might make a material only for export. Um, one plant might deal with a material only in the context of imports. One plant might deal with it not at all. Um, I don't know if they still do this. I suspect they do. But textbook publishers 
for many years used to produce a U.S. version of a textbook and then an international version of the textbook. Maybe some of you know that as students from the past because maybe some of you bought international versions of textbooks. For the most part, they were identical to the American version, but typically far, far fractional of the price. And so, you know, depending upon the market that something was made for, it might be slightly different. That, that's what we're saying here. So I'm going to skip over this point. And so let, let's get to the nitty gritty here and talk about this. All right, material views determine which views are populated. All right, and we can work through this as totally, this is totally logical. So by the time we get to the end of this slide, hopefully you'll, you'll just see, okay, this isn't hard at all. A raw material. Raw material is row, R-O-H. What is a raw material? A raw material is something that I buy to use in making stuff. So in the context of ERP SIM, this would be wheats, wheats, would be wheat, would be oats, would be blueberries, would be nuts, would be bags, would be boxes. All the stuff that I bought so that I can use it to make stuff. So from that definition, we can very easily see that this material is going to have purchasing related views because we buy this. So because raw materials are things that we bought, if we look at all the views available to us, the views that relate to purchasing are going to have data in them. And the views that have to do with production are going to have data in them because raw materials are things that I use as components in production. Am I going to have, and I, I, this might be the next point in your slide, so I've already given you the answer, but try and think through this on your own. Am I going to have views related to selling this item? No. Why not? All right, I get that. That's a good answer. But why? Somebody give me another way. So why, why do I know that I'm not going to have sales-related views? I don't sell it. How do I know that I don't sell this? Oh, okay, okay. Those are all good answers. Not the one I'm looking for. How do I know that this is not something I sell? Okay because the material type is row. So as soon as I say this material is material type row, I know I'm going to have purchasing views, I'm going to have production views, and I'm not going to have sales views. I cannot sell this item. Why can I not sell it? Because of the material type. That's why in ERP SIM, you could not say, oh, wow, we're really doing badly. Let's just start selling oats. Couldn't do that. The only thing you could sell was blueberry muesli and strawberry muesli and all of those things related there. You had oats. You had wheat. You had bags. You had boxes. You couldn't sell those. Why can you not sell them? Because of the material type. So the key thing here, material type, raw materials, these are things that I buy to use in making other stuff. And because that's the way those materials are classified, 
I'm buying them, so I'm going to have purchasing-related views. I'm going to have production-related views because I use it in production, but I am not going to have a sales-related view. All right? Let's look at, and I hadn't necessarily planned to do this, but let's see how easily we can spot this. If we go back to our ERP system right here, we were looking at our good friend here, Elbow Pad. And I think if we do select views and look at this, I'm trying to remember, I'm pretty sure that the material type is, somebody help me find it here. Here's material group. Um, looking for where material type is. And I thought it was going to be on this view, but it does not seem to be. So I'd have to figure out what view that is. But going back to what I was going to show you here, all right, so if this material were of type raw materials, um, would we expect to see sales org, would these views be populated? Sales, 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 sales text, anything here that has to do with sales. We wouldn't have that because we do not sell raw materials. But I would have purchasing views. MRP, all of these related, all of these things down here, those are our production related views. I would have those. Okay? Semi finished goods, HALB. Semi finished goods are things that we make using either raw materials or other semi-finished goods. So for you computing people here, we have like our first recursive definition, okay? So a semi-finished good is something that I make using either raw materials or other semi-finished goods, and I use them to make other materials. And the other materials that I'm going to make is either other semi-finished goods or FIRT, which is going to round out this slide in a few moments here, which is a finished good. Now, a semi-finished good is not something we buy, and it's not something we sell. For all intents and purposes, it's like an intermediate material. Let's assume that when we make mixed fruit muesli, that's a mouthful to say, mixed fruit muesli. When we make that product in our company, we take, um, what was it, strawberries and raisins and blueberries, which are all raw materials. And we mix them all together in this giant mixer, and then we toast them and we dehydrate them, and out the other end of this assembly line comes this conglomeration of dried up mixed fruit. You know, it's not distinctively one particular flavor, it's all of the different kinds of fruits just kind of randomly mixed together and all toasted and dried. That could be a semi-finished goods that we call toasted dried fruit mix. So we take blueberries and strawberries and whatever else, we do all this stuff with it, and out the other end comes toasted fruit mix. We don't sell toasted fruit mix. We put toasted fruit mix in a storage spot until it's time to make mixed fruit muesli. And then every box of mixed fruit muesli gets a designated amount of toasted fruit mix in it. 
okay? That's a semi-finished goods. We put these together based on raw materials and we turn around and we make out of them semi-finished goods. Now notice what's unique about these semi-finished goods. We don't buy them. You don't buy semi-finished goods and, and you don't sell semi-finished goods. They're just things that we make internally so that we can turn around and at a later point use them in a component in something that we're making. So if we designate something as a semi-finished goods, there will be no sales-related views and there will be no purchasing-related views. Will there be production-related views? Yeah because we're going to be using these items, we're going to be producing these items in some way, so we would expect those to be there. FERT, finished goods. These are things that we make using other materials. So we might make them using raw materials, we might use some raw materials and some semi-finished goods, and we put those together and we make finished goods. Finished goods are what we sell to customers. So now notice my slides are becoming less specific here because I want you to figure this out on your own. Are we going to have purchasing views related to finished goods? We do not buy them. Finished goods are produced. So we do not have purchasing related views for a finished good. Do I have sales-related views? Yes. Do I have production-related views? Yes. Okay, so do you see where the type of the material is going to dictate what, what views are populated in the system? Hopefully your answer to that is yes, it, it makes sense. If you understand the distinction between these different materials. Trading goods, HAWA. And by the way, if you're wondering wh where did these acronyms come from, SAP, German company, German words driving this. So I have no idea what the German word is that ultimately gave us HAWA. A trading good is something that we buy and turn around and sell without any kind of additional processing. In the context of your lab work, this is going to be things like um, first aid kits, helmets, um, did I say, I meant to say helmets, I don't know if that's what I just said or not, it seemed like it came out as helmets, which I don't know what that is. Maybe that's the German word for helmet, I don't know. But those kinds of things, you just buy and you turn around and sell. If you think about it, if you're Walmart, you have a whole bunch of trading goods. And if you're Walmart, you probably don't have any finished goods or semi-finished goods because or you know you don't you don't engage in manufacturing you might have raw materials though um, or I don't know you know they're purchased but we don't sell them we use them in production raw materials for Walmart might be ink for cash registers stuff like that would potentially be raw materials but not every company is going to deal obviously in all of these I will tell you as well there are more than four material types but these are clearly the four dominant ones but with any material type we're talking about 
once you heard a description of how that material was used, you can usually very logically discern which views are going to be populated. So we're about out of time, but what I want to do is I just want to back up and, and look at a slide we saw before and, and just kind of cap it off with this and then see if you guys have any questions. So kind of the bottom line here is every material has all these different views. But the likelihood of a given material having all 12 of these views populated is very, very unlikely. But if we're looking at a trading good, we're going to have purchasing data defined for that trading good because we buy it. Um, and we're going to have sales-related data populated because we sell it. But we might not have work scheduling data and quality, quality management data. Depends. This is whether or not we inspect materials. We might inspect trading goods when they come in to make sure they're of appropriate quality. So some of this, it kind of depends on our own internal processes here. But for a trading good, we're not going to have MRP data because we don't manufacture it. So this is the material master. And this is why I say this is really actually a pretty complex data structure. The fact that there are rules that define what's populated and what's not populated, and what you see differs from the perspective you're looking at, and maybe even like your login information. When you log into the system, you're going to see one set of information. Someone else sees something else. All of it's coming from the material master. But the information that is given to you is based on your role in the organization, the entity that's viewing it, and the other things that we have discussed here. Questions? I don't think anything we talk about this semester will get any more complicated than anything we've talked about today. There'll be some things that are going to be a lot easier. And maybe you found today to be relatively straightforward. Maybe today is, you know, you're going to have to really think about it and study some more. I, I hope you will do that. Uh, come back to class on Thursday with questions. I'm, I might have a quiz for you on Thursday to give you an opportunity to review this. But uh, if questions now before we head out. All right, well, all of you guys have a, have a good rest of the day today, and I'll look forward to seeing you when we get together on Thursday.